Welcome back to the Media Sport Podcast Series. I'm your host, Brett Hutchins, and I'm now back in Melbourne following my recent visit to the United States. A warm hello to everyone I met who made me feel welcome at the International Summit on Communication and Sport. It was a productive and enjoyable trip, and I can now report that my son is the proud owner of a Charlotte Hornets t-shirt. I'd also like to thank the listeners who have downloaded one, some, or all of the first eight episodes of the series from SoundCloud and iTunes. The series has now passed the 600 download mark, and judging by the stats, has recently picked up listeners in Denmark, the Netherlands, Mexico and Japan. I hope that word continues to spread about these interviews among those interested in sport, media, mobile communications and digital technology research. This episode marks the beginning of a new initiative for the podcast series, New Voices in Media Sport, which is an idea I've been toying with since July last year. I believe that the continuing renewal and vibrancy of communications and media studies and its many connected fields relies on fostering and highlighting talented younger voices who are conducting original research and in so doing, developing fresh and innovative perspectives on sports media in particular. With this in mind, it is my pleasure to introduce Portia Van, a second year student completing her PhD in the Social Media Research Centre at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane, Australia. She's speaking to me via Skype. I first came across Portia's research in the Journal of Broadcasting and Electronic Media last year, a journal published quarterly by the Broadcast Education Association in the United States. Her sole authored article, Changing the Game, the Role of Social Media in Overcoming Old Media's Attention Deficit Toward Women's Sport, caught my eye because of its focus on women's sport and the way it intelligently used software-assisted analysis to examine the use of Twitter in the ANZ Championship which is the leading netball competition staged in Australia and New Zealand. Working alongside Daryl Woodford and Axel Bruns, she has since co-authored another article that will be published in a forthcoming special issue of the journal, Media International Australia, that focuses on sports media. This article further examined patterns of Twitter use during the ANZ Netball Championship, as well as during the Commonwealth Games in 2014 a quadrennial international sports event that I spoke with Raymond Boyle from Glasgow University about in episode two. The working title of Porsche's PhD project is Coming Off the Bench, the Impact of Social Media in the Communication of Niche Sports. Porsche tells me that she is increasingly using the term second-tier sports instead of niche sports to refer to those competitions and tournaments that struggle for attention given the overwhelming dominance of commercial television and news media coverage by the likes of the Australian Football League, the English Premier League and the National Football League in the US. A key contention of her research is that women's sports and other second-tier sports often boast high participation rates and popularity at amateur, semi-professional and elite levels, but do not receive commensurate commercial, media and public attention, a situation that has obvious flow-on effects in terms of sponsorship and the salaries able to be paid to these athletes. In combating these inequalities, social media platforms like Twitter offer possibilities for fans and organisations to communicate widely without having to rely solely on mainstream media coverage. This is worthwhile research. It is searching for new possibilities for sports that have historically struggled to stay in the media sport spotlight. Portia, welcome to the Media Sport Podcast Series and thanks for joining us. Hello, thank you for having me. I'd like to begin with a question that many scholars have pondered over the years. What on earth possessed you to undertake a PhD and how are you finding the experience? Well, 
<laughs> well, I didn't plan on it when I started out, but um, after my undergrad degree, I sort of got out of the uni system and started working. Um, and it was in about 2012 that I really started getting into netball, um, watching it on TV and watching the ANZ Championship. Um, and at this time, it was being shown on Channel 10 slash 1. I think it was actually on 1. Um, and I was watching the final series, and in that time, like some of the semi-finals being played in New Zealand were being showed, shown at outrageous times at the night at 1 or 2 a.m. And this sort of really annoyed me because I was like, why is such like a well-produced sport um, with such high participation rates, um, not only amongst females, but amongst everyone um, in Australia, why is this being shown delayed at sort of one or two in the morning when the only things that were on Channel 10 or Channel 1 at the time when it was being shown live was reruns of shows like MASH and Hogan's Heroes. So that's probably how I got to thinking about maybe I wanted to look into this further, sort of this disparity between like the popularity in terms of participation and popularity in terms of commercial media coverage. Um, and this just happened to coincide with me receiving an email from one of my old tutors at QUT asking if I'd ever considered doing honours. Um, so then I got back to him and said, well, I hadn't previously, but maybe I've got a good idea for a topic of something to do now. <laughs> and so it kind of just went from there. And I went and met with him. He said, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Like the, most is the main issue people have with um, going into doing research is actually deciding what they want to research. So <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much how it started. And then from honours, I did that in 2013. That was just a year, um, which is the work that my article in the Journal of Broadcasting and Electronic Media came from. Um, and then, yeah, from that, I just thought I would apply to do a PhD and see what happened. And then I got it and here I am. It's going well. And tell us about the structure of your PhD project in your own words. I mean, what's it involved? What are you looking at? I suppose, And obviously why? Yeah, well, you summed it up pretty well um, in the introduction that basically I'm looking at um, sports at the elite or semi-professional, professional level within Australia that um, are popular and they do have sort of functional organising bodies and they have an elite level competition, but they just are sort of on the cusp of being in that mainstream sports space. They haven't quite broken into receiving the sort of coverage that the AFL and the NRL do. Um, and so obviously I came from this with a netball perspective, um, wanting to look at why this was, and it was suggested to me to look at social media. So rather than trying to tackle the problem of why is this like this, but to tackle the issue of how can this situation possibly be improved by sort of new media, more participatory technologies. I'll tell you about the case studies that I've done so far. So the sports that I'm looking at are netball and soccer or football if you're in Europe. <laughs> but um, so when I decided I wanted to look at these sports, I then thought, okay, well, what would be a good case study or event or something that I can use to really explore these sports in depth um, and so from there I came up with the Commonwealth Games for netball, the Asian Cup for soccer and also the Netball World Cup for netball again um, and basically the Asian Cup was in January of this year so I've already completed my research for one of my case studies which was a bit of an awkward timing in terms of doing a PhD because usually you don't start um, researching in the field until obviously after confirmation but 
seeing as I probably couldn't change the times of the Asian Cup to suit my research schedule, I just had to go with it. <laughs> mm. And for listeners overseas, could you explain uh, what the Asian Cup was and is uh, for those who might be unfamiliar with it? Yeah, well, the Asian Cup is basically just um, a football tournament of sports that make up the Asian Football Confederation. Um, it's like Australia, Japan, um, Jordan, Iraq, Iran, Oman, Kuwait, all of those sort of Asian and uh, Middle Eastern um, countries were involved. Um, it ran from the 9th of January to the 31st of January, so it almost went for a month, and that included pool rounds and then went into quarterfinals, semifinals, and eventually um, the grand finals. So it was a really large event, and they like smashed the targets that they had for audience attendance and broadcast attendance and things like that. So it did really, really well in terms of an Australian and an international audience. Yeah, it's actually worth listeners um, recognising that there was a, a match played, but the tournament was ultimately won by Australia in the final with South Korea, but the match played yes. between Australia and China in Brisbane had a television audience of over a billion people. So, you know, it was a very significant tournament. Now, I read a little bit about what you were doing there, but could you tell people what, what did your field work involve doing at the Asian Cup? You've got some interesting photos, or I've seen some interesting photos of you sitting in the stadium, you know, overlooking the ground. Yeah, well, it was a really amazing experience. I didn't really know exactly what to expect when I went down there because I um, had just been talking to them, but I wasn't really sure what I would actually be doing. Um, but in the end, I ended up spending some time with the digital and social media team, which was great. Um, they were based at the stadium every day of the tournament. Um, and if, that, if there was a game at the tournament, then we would go out sort of into the media tribune area and they would live tweet and live blog and do everything from there. So I was at the stadium every day and got to experience some amazing games and it was really, really good. It was far exceeded my expectations of what I would be doing. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis, I was, would head out to the stadium around midday um, each day. They would probably start working a couple of hours before the first game um, and they would do sort of the build-up before the game and then they would do the live tweeting and everything like that while the game was in progress. And then there would be a couple of hours again to wind down. Having said that, the social media team was really, really dedicated. And they were basically working around the clock anyway, even when I wasn't there. So it wasn't all about the live um, the live tweeting and everything like that. It was about the build-up, the engagement before, like creating that anticipation before games and everything like that. How did you, I mean, a challenge for a lot of researchers, but I, I certainly know from my own experience of supervision is, with PhD students is this challenge of gaining access. How did you go about gaining access to the social media team for a major football tournament? Well, I was really, really lucky in that sense because um, Jason, one of my tutors, who was the one that actually originally emailed me asking if I was interested in doing honours, um, he was reading my stage two document to market. He was like, oh, I see that you want to do your research on the Asian Cup. Well, it just so turns out that my really, really old and close and dear childhood friend, Alison, um, has been working as part of the team there. And she was the general manager of communications for the local organising committee. Um, so it was slightly different from the social media team. But So he got in contact with her for me and then I met her and chatted to her and 
she was amazing and organized it for me and got me in the door basically wow it's it's really Very lucky <laughs> and i i think that's speaking from my own experience I, I think this is an issue a lot of researchers you know come across a lot of the research that we do often relies on what we can get access to and that that, yeah. that how we get that access comes from all types of different means and it's really important to understand you know how to go about that but also to take advantage of it as you've done what were you what were your observations of the things you watched i mean for example the asian cup uh, multiple languages. I mean, did you did you? Yeah. How did you observe the use of Twitter in multiple languages? How was that handled? Well, it was a bit difficult because obviously I can't read Japanese or Chinese mm. or Arabic. So, <laughs> <laughs> but basically, we just decided that I was going to focus on the English um, speaking platforms because it was really interesting. Actually, at the tournament, which I didn't expect, was the scope and the size of the social media team. They had two people basically for each language um, of each country or team that was playing in the tournament. So the team was about sort of 16 people, mm, yeah, roughly 16 people. Um, they had a girl that was doing um, Weibo for the Chinese audience because obviously they don't have Twitter. Um, and, yeah, they had Twitter accounts for Arabic, Japanese, Thai, Indonesian, so many different languages. Um, but basically, I, the gist I got from the team was that they took their cues from the English speaking, the English language Twitter. So whatever they would post, they would take their cues from that and not just repost what the English language one had done, but sort of adapt it into their own style. But so it definitely changed my perspective in terms of the audiences that you need to cater for when you are doing social media for a large-scale tournament. I mean, and most of the sort of broadcast audience and um, audiences on the social media platforms, they didn't actually come from Australia. They came from other countries that were involved. So it was, it was kind of um, interesting to see how they sort of balanced the needs between the domestic and the international audience. Um, and something that the team leader of the social media team said to me, like, is if we are looking at targeting something specifically about the tournament to Australians, we'll usually tend to use Facebook rather than um, Twitter or one of the more global platforms because of the targeting that um, the tools of Facebook allow you to do. So I thought that was quite interesting. What do you, I mean, besides observing, were you offered access or have you gained access to the sort of the, the data delivered from the use of Twitter and the, and the tweets that were being sent in and around the tournament? Yeah, definitely. So throughout the whole tournament, we have our um, Twitter trackers running at QUT. So what you do is you just put in um, the account or the hashtag or the keyword that you want to collect all of the tweets that either mention that account or use a hashtag or mention a keyword. Um, so we had that running throughout the whole tournament. Um, and within that um, data, we were collecting tweets that were going to and from each team's account. Um, so like the Socceroos and all the other teams. We were also using some hashtags, like the game-specific hashtags. So just say, for example, it was Australia versus China, it would be hashtag AUS, small v, hashtag CHN. Um, so things like that we were also tracking and also more overall 
hashtags used for the throughout the tournament, so just the hashtag Asian Cup, hashtag AC2015 and things like that. Moving on from the Asian Cup, I mean, I think it's important for listeners overseas to understand that in Australia, soccer is probably the fourth most popular um, football code behind the Australian Football League, the National Rugby League and indeed Rugby Union. So this is this notion of second tier sports. But moving on from, you know, why you would associate soccer with netball, you have an obvious focus on netball in your writing. Um, I suppose the obvious questions are, do you play? Are you a fan? And if so, how do you actually balance your fandom with your scholarship? Yes, I am a fan. I'm an avid fan, to admit. <laughs> I do love my netball. Um, I play as well, so I play three times a week usually. <laughs> um, in terms of balancing it, I haven't found it too difficult so far, to be honest, because I feel like I can quite easily understand other people's perspectives who may not be such a fan of the sport and then may not have my passion and my um, real want to see the sport do well. Mm. But I think that's really comes down to why I've chosen uh, netball and soccer because they do have such high participation in Australia. So I think that's a good sort of argument that I usually make when people ask me like, oh, why netball? Who cares about netball? That kind of thing. I say, well, actually a lot of people do care about it because it's the second most played team sport in all of Australia and it's also the highest played team sport for women in Australia. So I can understand that people have differing views on netball, but I think the underlying benefit from studying these two sports um, is really shown through those statistics. So the ANZ Championship is made up of five teams from Australia and five teams from New Zealand. And netball is probably, unlike soccer, at the premier level in Australia and New Zealand, where the best at it, you know, people come here as imports rather than Australians going elsewhere to play as imports to get sort of better experience and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so until this year, they just played a regular sort of round-robin competition with a combined ladder. Um, but this year they decided to split it into two conferences, which is very controversial and I don't agree with it. But basically the rumoured reasoning behind this is because um, Sky Sport in New Zealand brings the majority of the funding for the competition in through their broadcast rights deals. Um, and so Australian teams have been quite dominant over the New Zealand teams in the last couple of years, which has seen them drop out of finals um, early on in the season and not also not be playing in semifinals, grand finals and things like that. So it's not 100% it's not fact, but that is the feeling behind why these changes have occurred. Um, so, yeah, that's the ANZ Championship. The Firebirds are my team, the Queensland Firebirds. I have membership and I love going to watch them play. <laughs> How do you go about looking at Twitter's use in netball? It's obviously the, the sport where you've published most uh, about. It's a sport you've yeah. published most about. I mean, why is Twitter so... What, useful in saying something meaningful about the relationship between netball and media? Yeah, well, I think there's a few factors that make Twitter a good platform to look at um, in terms of sport. And I think one is just the really appropriate connection between a live sport and being able to tweet because it's so immediate, it's so fast. It just really suits the live pace of a sports broadcast. 
Um, so I think that is sort of one of the first reasons why you would look at it in relation to any live event, really, not only sport. Um, there's also the issue of access. It's a lot easier to access Twitter data um, and analyse it than, say, Facebook data or something like that. Um, you're also collecting a large scale, um, a large amount of data. So I'm not exactly sure for the Asian Cup how many tweets we'll have, but it will be <laughs> a significant amount. So you can really sort of get a sense of the overall type of communication that's happening about that sport on Twitter. So I think they're probably the main reasons why it's a beneficial platform to look at in relation to sporting events. Yeah, and I mean, when you say it's lots, I mean, we're talking in the thousands and tens of thousands of tweets, aren't we? Oh, yeah. I would say we'd probably be in the millions for the Asian Cup. Right, okay. <laughs> and that actually brings us, I mean, I've, I've, there's been forums on Twitter research in relation to sport in journals such as communication and sport, and... You know, I suppose a criticism and a challenge of using that platform is the sheer scale and speed of messages that, you know, are sent on it. What software tools are you using to harvest and analyse this? And how are you combating, you know, the, 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 the occasionally quite ephemeral nature of much of its content? Yeah, well, it was not too difficult um, when I did my honours research on the ANZ Championship because it wasn't on quite such a huge scale as like the Asian Cup and probably the Netball World Cup will be. Um, we use Tableau software, so it's a data visualisation software um, which you can tweak quite um, specifically to do what you want it to do. Um, so usually what I will do first of all when I'm beginning to analyse Twitter data is I'll get the hashtag or the Teams account that I want to look at. I'll put it into Tableau and the first thing I'll look at is tweets over time and so you can do this either by day or by hour or by minute um, and then from there so like if there's a significant spike or a significant drop like um, in the Twitter levels I will then sort of go into that spike and have sort of a scroll through the actual content of the tweets and see the reasoning behind that and then if I think it's something interesting I'll delve further into that smaller sample with Tableau, it's also good. It's really easy to eradicate spam. So if there's a really crazy spike and you look at it and it's just all from the one account saying crap like, oh, make $5,000 a day from home or something like that, it's really easy just to take that out of the data so you're not being skewed by spam bots just posting out tweets all, all day long. <laughs> And what are the, I suppose, in saying something more generally about social media, I mean, how do you position Twitter in saying something broader? I mean, it it's obviously has its similarity and differences with the likes of Facebook or Tumblr or Snapchat. But how do you, I suppose, approach Twitter in a way that you're able to say something more than just about what's happening on Twitter? Mm. Well, I think the key thing, and sort of this is one of the main ideas that underlines my research, it's the idea that for fans of second-tier sports like netball, they may not be having their fandom catered to in mainstream media. I mean, it's good now. All the games um, of the ANZ Championship are broadcast live on Fox Sports. So it's not really in terms of actually watching the games, but experiencing further um, ways, uh, further fandoms with the sport. Like, for example, on Fox Footy and on Fox, there's so many shows like, 
about AFL, like talk shows, panel shows, things like that, which we don't see in netball. So I think that's where social media comes in, in that it's a really good way for fans of the sport to further talk about the sport, have discussions, you know, feel connected with the team or the organisation that they are talking to or talking about on social media. So I think overall platforms, that's the real sort of key of my research is this connection and this outlet for fans and organisations to discuss the sport where this may not have been possible before social media platforms. Mm. And have you spoken to anyone, I mean, in connecting it up with the the sporting organisations themselves, spoken to people at Netball Australia or Netball Queensland about how they think about and approach social network, social media platforms? Um, Well, I did have a chat with a girl from Netball Australia previously, um, but she moved on to a new job at the end of last year. But she got me in contact with the people who are running the Netball World Cup. Um, So that's what I'll be doing in August. That's of August this year. So I'm really hoping to get my main, like, perspectives and information and observations about how netball organisations are using social media from the Netball World Cup. And I realise this might be a slightly awkward question in some ways, but are you starting to formulate plans of what you're hoping to do post-PhD? Well, as you might have figured out by my story about how I actually got into doing a PhD, which was through no planning and it just sort of happened, (laughs) I haven't really made any plans. I haven't decided if I want to continue in sort of the academic route or if I want to try and work more from an industry perspective and maybe um, get involved with sports organisations that I can help through the findings of my research in sort of a more practical way. So I've sort of, I have thought about it in terms of I thought that there's those kind of two avenues that I could potentially um, explore further, but I haven't made any concrete plans of where I want to take it really. Portia, thanks for taking time out to speak to the Media Sport Podcast Series. Good luck with your PhD and we all look forward to hearing more about the results of your project. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.